welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Dot com. <laughs> Today. We go with Empire. Anyway. <laughs> Before we get into the show, this is the trigger warning. We will be talking about horror culture, horror movies, and horror such things, and uh, this could likely delve into subjects uh, that are undesirable, things like murder, child abuse, rape. We're going to be talking about messed up things, so that's that's a disclaimer. That's what this show is about. If you didn't know that, what, what are you doing here? That being said, we have a lot coming up lately. Uh, we, we have like we were just discussing this. We have so many people scheduled for future interviews that it's hard to schedule more people because it's like, yeah, we can pencil you in for like you know next year, next year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, coming up in the near future, we're going to be speaking with director John Fallon, uh, possibly Eduardo Sanchez, director of uh, this thing called the Blair Witch Project. You might have heard of it. Uh, authors Paula D. Ash, Chandler Morrison, and Cody Goodfellow, actress Rebecca Kennedy, uh, the president of Rue Morgue, Rodrigo Gudino, and Mr. Tyler Dupay. Or Dupay I think. I'm going to go with Dupay. It looks like Dupay. Yeah. Editor for Wicked Horror TV and a columnist for Dread Central. Yep. So that's all in the future. But for today, we have the honor of the company of a director known as Lucky McKee. Known for such works as The Woman, May, and Tales of Halloween. Welcome to the show. It is an honor. Hi, Lucky. Oh, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. In this interview, we'll be asking three sets of questions. Actually, you know, before we get into that, do you have anything you want to pitch before we get into the meat of the interview? That I want to pitch? Anything sure. you're currently working on that you can talk about? You going to help me get something made? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I have, do what we can. I have a film coming out in the fall called Old Man with Stephen Lang and Mark Center that I'm really, really excited about. Um, it's a two-hander about a, an old man living in a in a cabin in the Smoky Mountains, and a stranger shows up at his door, and it's the the entire movie is two guys trying to figure out who each other are, um, mm. and it's just a real. You know, I made it right in the middle of the pandemic, um, which was crazy. And uh, we shot this little movie up in upstate New York on a soundstage. The whole movie was shot on a soundstage, which was really fun for me. I'm really proud of it. I think it's, it's one of the better things they've made in a while. It just it, it was it was one of those that just everything went really smoothly. And it, it's, it's a great showcase for, for Stephen Lang and, and Mark Center as actors. So I'm really excited about it. So that's coming out this fall. And then um, otherwise, I just I just finished directing an episode of, a, of an upcoming a big television show that's coming out at the beginning of next year. I can't say what it is yet, but um, that was really, really cool to do a, an episode of a series which is a game I've been wanting to get into for a while. And it was, it was nice to have a, to have a real budget. (laughs) (laughs) If only for a couple months, it was, it was pretty glorious. So um, I had a blast doing that. I'm sure news will come out about that at some point or another, but it's not my news to break. So Mm. it must be good though. If you thought that the TV shows budget was better than the movie budget. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, if that's like, if you've been working with not a complete budget this whole time, Jesus, we can only imagine. It's a streaming money. Mm. yeah yeah so those those are the two things i'm really excited about otherwise i'm just back to back to the slow writing life now that i finished that show so Mm. well we will put together a bio page for you and link to whatever you want to so uh yeah you can give us links to whatever and we can put that on there 
So going back to what I was saying a second ago, the the idea of this interview is we ask questions about you as a fan, mm-hmm. which you've been a fan of in your childhood, teenage years, and adulthood years, uh, and try to understand come to come to understand what's important to you and what you get out of horror as an individual. For the listeners, if you need to dip out, we do understand some of these calls can be a little on the long side, but we do strongly suggest coming back uh, whenever you can to listen to the end, because often the end is the best part. But uh, starting with childhood, what are some of the earliest memories of scary things? Uh, the the first real memory I have of of something that that scared me is the Wizard of Oz. Mm. The you know they would show it every year at Easter. Uh, I can't remember which network it was. I think CBS maybe would show the wizard of oz every year mm-hmm. it was my mom's favorite movie and and we, we would obviously watch it every time it was on because you know we had three channels growing up i lived in the sticks mm. the wicked witch her green skin and just her her whole thing um yeah. was really scary to me and the, those fucking monkeys man those, those <laughs> <laughs> it's always the monkeys goddamn they're not not terrifying yeah, yeah, and just so many of the ideas presented in that film. I actually think that The Wizard of Oz is a fantastic gateway to a young mind <laughs> for horror. What I what ideas? Uh, you know, I mean, just just that idea of evil. You know, um, that mm-hmm. evil that evil witch that's out to get you. You know, I mean, it taps right. You know, it taps. You know, just like Bomb was tapping into the Grimm's fairy tales and all that kind of stuff, which are uh, just a part of the human experience at this point telling stories around the campfire that's obviously where horror began. And I think that fairy tales are, you know, also cautionary tales, which I think uh, a lot of horror movies really are Mm. about self-preservation and, and, uh, and fighting back against evil and all, all those things, uh, you know, and also, be a good person or bad things will happen to you. Mm-hmm. So those were, you know, those were the things that I keyed on really at a very young age. Morality. And then, you know, when I started to get a little bit further into elementary school, it got to a point where you could, you know, we didn't own a VCR, but you could rent one. And my sister and I would rent a VCR for our birthday and we'd be able to get a few movies with that. And one year on my sister's birthday, uh, her co- our cousin Tootsie con- convinced, convinced her to rent uh, all horror movies. Nice. So it was me and my older sister and uh, my two two other cousins, Lita and Tootsie, and uh, we sat there in the dark, this dark house in the country in the middle of the night and watched Psycho 3, The Hitcher, and Carrie. Okay. All, all in one night. It was just so fun, you know? The three of us just, like, gathered up in blankets on the floor watching these pretty pretty wild horror movies for you know i mean i was probably like eight or nine years old at the time Mm. and uh they made a deep deep impression (laughs) (laughs) uh you know obviously that especially the ending of carrie when the hand bursts out of the rubble and and and, uh grabs sue's hand and uh you know the hitcher with the 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 uh the finger the finger and the french fries and and all (laughs) these all these things just like made such a huge impression on me and i think that it kind of it really started there like a lifelong love of the genre. And, you know, by the time I was in middle school, uh, I worked at a horse ranch shoveling shit and feeding (laughs) and bought my first video camera, uh, um, just working my ass off one summer. Um, and I've been making movies ever since. Hmm. How old did you say you were at when you worked at the horse place? Uh, 11 or 12, somewhere in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you already decided that you wanted to make movies then? Yeah. 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 I decided at a pretty young age, by the time I was in high school, I was firmly, I I firmly knew that that's what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go to school and the, the, the the whole thing. 
Nice. And just somehow, somehow made that stuff happen. <laughs> Already seeing some interesting things here. Uh, funny enough, just, I think it was yesterday. I posted something in our discord channel about, um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there was a quote unquote lost episode of Sesame street where Linda appeared on Sesame street. Do you know about that? That sounds vaguely familiar actually, but refresh me. Did it freak everybody out too much? Yes. So they, they stopped showing it and it was buried for a long time, but it finally uh, has come to the light of day and was put online for a bit. But we were, I was just posting about that yesterday. So that's kind of funny that they came up today. The thing about buying a, a camera already by the time you were 11 or 12, that's also interesting because I'm wondering how you knew at that age that it was a possibility. I'm trying to think of exactly how I got the bug. Um, I, 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 you know, in all through elementary school, I got into comic books and I really wanted to write and draw comic books and tried very, very hard to teach myself to draw and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I just didn't, you know, I could draw okay, but you know, then I would see some kid and just come in and just draw something and it would just be effortless and he could do it really easily. And he just had a gift, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, I didn't have that gift. So I met a kid one summer or, or visiting after my parents got divorced, like visited a kid up, up where she was living. And he had, he had the, an old video camera. It was literally the kind, like something left over from, you know, it was, it was even old at that time, but it was one of those uh, black and white VHS cameras. That's like a camera with a wire connected to like a VCR that you actually carry around as a recording. Okay. Yeah. Probably S video or something even older. Yeah. And we, we, uh, we shot a, uh, we shot like a, we made makeup and stuff like that. He was really into horror movies and stuff like that. And I was like, this okay. is cool. He started showing me a bunch of stuff that I had no access to growing up mm-hmm. in the sticks. And, like Romero movies and stuff like that. And we decided to make our own Freddy movie. And I was like, okay, I got to get my own camera. This is so much damn fun. You know, cool. So we made our own little nightmare on Elm street <clears throat> movie. That's the first movie I remember making. Oh, you know, when you start out, you're always just copying your favorite stuff. Oh, of course. Nightmare on Elm street was really, really important to me at a young age. I just, I just loved the surrealistic qualities of it. And, you know, just that whole dream logic, you know, when you said old video camera, I thought you're going to, go like eight millimeters. Yeah, this was, you know, I, I was, I, w- I was born in 1975. So I grew up in the, in the, the, the video age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you had, um, multiple friends and family that were into horror. You mentioned Tootsie, Lita, your sister, this other guy that had, uh, yeah, but they were, they were in it in a passing way, just as like, you know, just like, that's a movie you watch, you know what I mean? And it's like mm. something to freak you out and have something to talk about with your friends. But like, I got obsessed <laughs> reading all the magazines and, you know, wanting to do that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it, I, I was, I was kind of isolated in that way. And then I had that, that one friend that I made, like I said, up in Sacramento, uh, where my mom was living at the time. And, uh, that was, uh, it was, it was pretty lonely actually growing up wanting to make movies. There wasn't a lot of people that really, you know, I could get people to be in stuff. Right. And like, I think more, more when I got into high school, I had a few friends that really got into it with me, but I I grew up in a very rural country type of environment, you know? So Mm. there wasn't as much interest in that kind of in comic books and movies and all that kind of stuff. Still having somebody older with you to introduce you to it and, the social aspect of having someone in the room there watching it with you and enjoying it with you is a lot different than if you happen to turn on the TV in the middle of the night by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
did you participate in Halloween as a kid? Uh, yeah, yeah, to an extent. I mean, we'd, we'd get dressed up to go to school and stuff like that. Um, those those ridiculous like plastic things you would buy at the grocery store, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, like trick or treating wasn't like a real great option because we lived in the fucking sticks, man. You know, like we <laughs> five acres next to somebody else's ten acres to you a know couple miles in between each house. Yeah, right. like can can yeah. I get five candy bars? It was like a five minute walk here. Exactly, it would have been a really long walk to fill up a bag, a candy bag. You know, so a lot of it was just left on me to just like you know be creative all, alone in my room. You know. <laughs> Did you have any scary dreams as a kid? Of course. Any reoccurring nightmares, maybe? Uh, I don't know about reoccurring nightmares, but I have I have dreams where I I, I still have dream the same dreams I've had ever since I was a kid, where it's like I'm skipping and I start skipping higher and higher off the ground, and eventually I'm so high I can't come down. Hmm. Which is that a, is a new one. I don't even know. Yeah, I'll be like skipping down my driveway and just I'll be getting higher and higher off the ground, and eventually. I'm so high that I'm afraid I'll never be able to come back down. It's a very, very strange, very, very strange. Like usually it's the opposite. You know, you have the falling dreams or the, the floating dreams, but this is like an intentional action that just gets out of hand, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what that's all about. And it's, it's always fun at first, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it's just like, oh shit, you know, like I'm just going to float up into space or something. <laughs> it's, it's all like, fun and games until you start to approach the atmosphere, you know, it's just. Yeah, exactly. Wow. It's so, <laughs> such a weird, weird dream, but yeah, still get that one every once in a while. Interesting. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is loss of control. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's we'll pretty, put that on the side. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a waking nightmare also. Uh, I, I think I think most of most of the worst dreams that we have, we can't really talk about. <laughs> you know, like uh, there, there's certain you know that's that's actually why I admired Jack Ketchum so much and had so much fun working with him because he was really fearless in terms of the stuff that he would he would write about and talk about and stuff. And and there's just I don't know there's just certain you know dreams that get so personal and so fucked up that you know mm-hmm. I don't know how you could articulate that that kind of stuff to anybody yeah mm. no it's easy you just talk about them and don't think about the repercussions of what people will think about you afterwards it's like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. when i discussed in my interview how i had a nightmare once about uh stabbing one of my friends because he was a zombie and i had to do it and the most disturbing thing was how the knife felt stabbing through the skin and it was yeah how long was the pause afterwards steve you, you were a little flabbergasted i think <laughs> i don't remember but yeah there was <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, that's that's exactly right. That's that's the that's the kind of stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the important part is you wake up and you're disturbed by it. You're like, "What the fuck did I just dream yeah, about?" Yeah, and you have this feeling of relief and everything. Yeah, so, like yeah. Uh, all right, I'm a normal person because that disturbed me. We're good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so glad none of that stuff is true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <clears throat> did anything in real life actually happen that terrified you as a kid? Yeah, I mean, maybe the most traumatic thing that happened to me as a kid was a car accident I got into, a head-on collision I got into when my mom was driving the car. I've actually, the the, the next kind of passion project of mine that I'm going to make kind of dives into a lot of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we got, into, we got into a really, really bad car accident when I was a kid and my mom almost died. And uh, it, it, it definitely, I'm still nervous in an automobile. I don't like being a passenger in a car. Uh, I still have like severe PTSD <laughs> from that, from that experience. I can understand that. My cousin is in the same boat. She was in a 
same same situation was in a car accident with her mother and um it's funny i didn't know this because we grew up we together at in a young age and then our families moved apart and so i didn't know about this until many years later as a matter of fact i didn't know it until i interviewed her mother my aunt uh just as a family thing decided to interview our, our relatives and i found out about this and then all of a sudden like the pieces fell into place because i had picked up my cousin from an airport one time and she was freaking out in the passenger side and i'm like yeah. what's, what's going on yeah Definitely understandable with that. Yeah, um, I, I'm not the person you want to drive around in a car because I, 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 yeah, I, I, I freak out, man. Mm. Um, I like, I like well, to drive. <laughs> mm. Well, it sounds like your mom survived, which is good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I guess we could go back to some of the things that you mentioned. That so, Psycho, Psycho Three, Witcher, or Hitcher, Carrie. Yeah, and then by the time I discovered Nightmare on Elm Street, I mean it was all over. I mean, like that was it, man. Like I was, I was all in. You know what Wes Craven did with Nightmare on Elm Street, and, and uh, I'm also a big fan of. of uh, at, at a young age, I was a big fan of Three as well. Um, still am. Nightmare on Elm Street Three. If you go down the list of credits in that movie and you look at all the badasses involved in that, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like. Oh, yeah. Written by Frank Darabont, directed by Chuck Russell, Lawrence Fishburne, Patricia Arquette, Angelo Badalamente did the score. It's got John Saxon in it. It's got stop motion in it. It's got puppets. It's got, you know, it was just like everything that I wanted in a movie was in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And over the years, too, and I, I like I liked Nightmare on Elm Street 2 quite a bit, too. And I, I actually have even more fondness for Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I think that some of i think scary i think i think freddy never looked never looked scarier than in nightmare on street too i think he just looks incredible in that and and some of the ideas in that movie too um but just also some of the imagery you know like freddy coming from within that boy's body and 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 all the stuff going on there those those first three movies are just like as good as it as good as it got back then for me they're kind of a mixture of a lot of different things like paranormal horror in the dream realm body horror slasher in a way yeah and, and it all and it all taps back to like a fairy tale thing you know like a boogeyman thing yeah you know, something very ancient feeling about it you know um it, it taps into something very real you know and very relatable when you mentioned uh nightmare on elm street 2 had a lot of good ideas what would what would you say is your favorite idea that it posed yeah, to me, to me, like the greatest image in that film is when Freddie comes from within that boy's body. Just like that, that whole concept was just like I don't know. I still think about that a lot. You know, just having having an evil get inside you and then manifest itself in that way is just like freaky as shit. Yeah, yeah, I can see how that uh, you know got you more interested in David Lynch films later on because that's yeah, like yeah, planting yeah. a seed of body horror interest. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. What about three? Uh, three is just like, there's, it's just creatively just, just like a creative explosion. You know, there's just so many, there's so much going on with it. That marionette scene was just fucking fantastic. Yeah. 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 Just, just the, just the, the way he visualizes psychological things, you know, uh, the way he visualizes fears. Craven contributed to that one as well. I think it probably got away from what he wanted it to be, but. There's, you know, and just that idea of that group of misfits. I think when you're growing up and you're kind of a misfit yourself, you really, really identify with those kind of characters. And mm. and also it was just cool. You know, it just looked cool and felt cool to watch it. Mm. I'm, 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 and what's funny is I'm in my wife's office right now and my, my 
my movie library is in here so i'm like staring at all these spines <laughs> <laughs> all these things i grew up on you know well it's perfect for inspiration there you go yeah yeah exactly so jumping down to teenage years what if you were to pick like the top three influential things in your teenage years what would you pick uh, movies Movies, yeah. well, culture, well, books, things. Yeah, well, I mean, life. when I was 15, Nirvana hit me, you know, um, and that just totally, totally rearranged my brain on that. I could do the stuff that I wanted to do because I felt like that that band was three kind of scrubby guys from kind of a similar environment that I grew up in. And they were messy and loud and and uh, and expressive. And, and I just found a lot of comfort in that. You know, it gave me a lot of confidence as a young artist to just be as weird as possible and push people's buttons and <laughs> do all that kind of stuff. Do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. But also, at the you know, at the end of the day, have like a good moral center, you know, um, and be be out for promoting good things. And then, you know, Reservoir Dogs came along and, and uh, Goodfellas before that, I'd say Goodfellas was a big shift. And Goodfellas pushed me to watch Taxi Driver, which obviously Taxi Driver ended up being a huge influence on May. You know, I wanted to make my own movie about a lonely character. Hmm. Taxi Driver is probably the biggest influence on May. Those movies were really important, really, really important to me. You know, once I was able to drive and once I, you know, had my own kind of like regular jobs, like I think I was working at a dog kennel by the time I was in high school, I would, I would get up a few hours before school and do that and, and then go to school and then come back and go back there and mow her lawns and take care of Rottweilers and Pekingese dogs. Shovel sh- shoveling shit and feeding animals. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say horses now dogs yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mowing lawns and all that kind of stuff. As one does. Yeah. 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 But, but once I had that a little bit of cash in my pocket and especially once I was able to drive, then it was like, okay, Growing up, I probably went to the movies. We would go to the movies once a year, once every two years. So movies were really, really, getting to see a movie was a really special thing to me. So by the time I was of an age where I could drive and kind of do things on my own and had a little bit of money in my pocket, I could rent movies, I could go to the movies, and I just uh, became obsessed, just tried to absorbing, you know, wherever the wind wind took me, you know. Going back to the first ones you mentioned, uh, Goodfellas, what did you like about that one? The, the style of it, obviously, was the thing that pulled me in. Scorsese's ability to show people for how they are. And, and that, that was another thing that I really related to in Reservoir Dogs because my dad was a welder growing up. So I grew up in a lot of junkyards and metal shops and just around a lot of like blue-collar working white men. And they were racist and sexist and all these things. And I, you know, when I saw goodfellas and reservoir dogs those movies were representing that they weren't they weren't condoning it but they were they were showing it for how it is you know they were exposing it in a way i i you know i really identified with what i was seeing in those movies because i grew up around those kind of people and and, and, in those kind of scenarios and stuff like that and it was it was refreshing to see somebody kind of being honest about it that that's something that exists so um that was part of what pulled me into those movies. And I also, I just loved violent movies when I was a teenager. A lot of teenagers just love violence and movies, you know, it's red stuff, you know, it's entertaining pound for pound. I think that there's, there's probably more truly terrifying moments in Scorsese's filmography than a lot than most horror directors. Cause he, he really, really knows how to make an impact and show you how u- ugly violence can be and how ugly people can be. I think that that's a lot, that that's a lot scarier than, than most of the horror stuff that's out there. 
I mean, think about, well, like, think about that guy getting his, you know, head squeezed in the vice in casino or, 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 or uh, Joe Pesci getting beaten to death with baseball bats at the end of the casino. I mean, like that stuff is fucking terrifying, man. Or hell, I was just talking to Steve about this uh, prior to the show. Like uh, I brought up, um, was it drive drive is more of a thriller mystery suspense, but I mean, he caved a man's head in an, in an elevator. That's wild as fuck. I know. I know. I know. I know. Well, like you say, you know, what he was doing is he was showing people for how they are and, even though you're not condoning it, but that showing that that's reality. Mm-hmm. And when you are able to say that, you know, cause there are other movies where the violence is unrealistic. It's over mm-hmm. the top, but when you've got something that is tied in reality, like the thing about head squeezed in the vice, there is somebody who actually did that to somebody. You can get yeah. read about it online. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's, There's, stuff that's really scary. And that, that was the thing that Ketchum and I always talked about, you know, I, I finally convinced Ketchum to do a story that had some supernatural elements in it. And I was like, why don't you like to do stuff with supernatural elements? He's just, you know, he, he just felt that there was nothing scarier than a, than just a human being. <laughs> and he's right. You know, yeah, uh, you're not wrong. Taxi driver. You mentioned that you wanted to make a movie about a lonely character. And I know there is some violence in, in taxi driver, but what else, was there anything else there that, for you? Yeah, I mean, just just you know, that is that is one of the best films about loneliness, you know, especially for for a young for a young man who's at war with all those caveman feelings of violence and and and, and sex and wanting sex and wanting the things that we kind of want as dumb animals, and him kind of trying to like at, at war with that, like philosophically, but in his own mind, with nobody to really offload that to, and just seeing how someone that doesn't have love in their life or people in their life really can just snap again. I think that taxi driver is way relevant still (laughs) with with a lot of the stuff that we're seeing every, every, you know, every other day on the news. I often wonder if I didn't have creativity in my life or love in my life or good people and good family and stuff like that. You know, it's like, it's, it's very easy to see how, how people can get there the more kind of isolated they are psychologically and physically from the world. Yeah. They just go mad, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's yeah. fascinating. And it's a big fear of mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Can relate. There's a reason why uh, acceptance of others is in that whole Pavlovian thing. Yeah. Pavlov. Pavlov. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can relate to that too. I mean, I was raised by my grandmother and my father. He spent a couple years in, um, What's the word for it? Uh, Isolation. Military school. Oh. No, military school. Because he misbehaved a bit as a kid. And I guess he didn't didn't have – I don't want to say he didn't have a bad – he had a bad relationship with his father, my grandfather. It's not that it was necessarily bad, but it wasn't maybe as close, I think, as he had wished. And anywhere, anyway, where I'm going with this is you're talking about you know not having guidance – And in some respects, I also feel that way too, because there were certain things, some, some things that my, my grandmother could not be a guide to me for. And there are certain things that my father didn't know how to be a guide to me for. And so, for example, when I was in my teens, hmm? you were saying something. Oh, I just said, I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And in my case, when Pink Floyd came out with the wall, you know, everybody really loved the song, uh, the wall part two, you know, the thing about the teachers. Mm-hmm. And when I found out that my cousin had a copy of that album, I had her give me a copy. And she did. 
uh, was kind enough to put a note in there saying, you know, be careful, you know, the, about these lyrics. Cause I think I was in sixth or seventh grade when she gave me the, the copy and there's some disturbing stuff on that album that I listened to it. And I remember thinking about, you know, how, if just one or two things were different in my life, how different I might be yeah. to go down a similar path. Yeah. And that, that's exactly. That's, kind of scary those are real fears those are real fears you know and i was raised you know uh raised by people that just thought violence was a way to deal with things and i was around a lot of people that that felt that way and i just wasn't built that way you know so when you talk about like you know having guidance but uh, violence uh, or you know or, or, or you know having having guidance that isn't appropriate for her for who you are as a person you know right just that was a much more kind of like sensitive little weirdo and and just wasn't the phrase just deal with it doesn't work for everyone. yeah <laughs> yeah or just knock his lights out you know like yeah. if if somebody's giving you a hard time uh yeah. it just didn't not, i'm just not built that way you know right so yeah fun fun of growing up but I, I like i said i poured a lot of that this script that it's this thing called crimson and clover that I, i've been wanting to make for years and years and i've it was always kind of intended to be my, you know, when I was, when I first wrote it, when I was young, I always intended it to be my follow-up to May. And after I made May and, and dealt with Hollywood a little bit, I was like, I can't make this movie until, unless it can be completely protected because it's so personal. It's very much about how I grew up, where I grew up, type of people I grew up around. And it, and it, when I first wrote it, I, I wasn't necessarily mature enough to really deal with the stuff that I was dealing with because I was closer to the age of the characters and, couple years ago a buddy of mine who's who's a big shot now he just re- he remembered the script it had always been one of one of his favorite things that i'd ever written he said hey i want to help you make that so he kind of created like this safe space for me to work on it again and i've been i've been going through going back through a lot of that stuff and and you know finally got the script to a place i like and hopefully i get to make it within the next year or so but but it's it's dealing with a lot of feelings and a lot of that stuff that i experienced growing up and it's kind of it, once I make that movie, everything else I do will be like a bonus. <laughs> right. That's the opus. It's it's the one, you know? Yeah. It's like my version of something like, I think what Scorsese was trying to do with Mean Streets. Not, I'm not putting myself in that league, but I, I'm right. saying that like it's coming from that same kind of place or like what Link Lauder did with Dazed and Confused or, you know, different, all, you know, or, or John Milius did with Big Wednesday or something like that. Movies that are specifically nostalgia for your own personal life. And how that stuff kind of shaped who you are and all the while still trying to tell something that's like entertaining and, and insightful and, you know, relatable. Right. But I'm really excited about that one. I hope, I hope that comes together sooner rather than later. And I hope it exceeds your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so on going back to the topic of guidance for a second, uh, if you didn't feel that you necessarily had it from above, what about peers? Um, you mentioned having that one friend that had the camera. Did you have any other friends in the teenage years that, uh, yeah, this one buddy kind of about the middle of high school, we kind of realized that we were both kind of obsessed with video cameras and, and, and shooting little shorts and stuff like that. And we hooked up and finally I had a friend that was just as passionate about the stuff as me, I was more into like Scorsese, Tarantino, George Lucas, and Brian De Palma, that, that kind of stuff when I was a teenager. And he was more into like kind of activist stuff. He was into like Spike Lee and, 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 and uh, Oliver Stone and that kind of stuff. So it was kind of an interesting mixture. And he was really interested in making documentaries and all that kind of stuff. So 
and we're still both doing it to this day. He's got a documentary coming out about Robert Downey Sr. pretty soon, and he, he's done some incredible, incredible stuff in the documentary space, and he's made a bunch of experimental features and stuff like that. So, yeah, we've been going strong since we were, you know, 15, 16 years old, making movies together. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. you mind sharing his name? Kevin Ford, yeah. Kevin Ford. Okay. He made a bunch of, he made a, he made a documentary about Jane's Addiction's first re- reunion tour, and nice. he's, he's just done a ton of great stuff over the years. Cool. Yeah. Um, so Halloween, I'm guessing probably still didn't participate a lot in that if you were still in the, the same area. Yeah. Yeah. Not really. Not really. Okay. Any different scary dreams as a teen other than the one that we mentioned? Gosh, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Not every question is going to hit you. You never know. Yeah. Anything actually terrifying happened as a teen in real life? I guess the most terrifying thing about teen, being a teenager is trying to like connect with a girl. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That one comes up a few times. Up the nerve to express feelings and then getting rejected. And, and then all of a sudden like hooking up with somebody who you had no idea had any kind of feelings for you. And just the bizarre landscape of being like a really awkward, nerdy kid trying to like find some sort of romance that age was, was pretty pretty comical when you think back on it, but horrifying when you're experiencing it. Mm. Any lasting fears? Well, I told you about the car thing. I'm still not good in a car. Lasting fears that, that go back to childhood and teenage years. You mean? Well, I was jokingly referring to, you know, this part about connecting with a girl, but if you want to broaden the question, that's fine too. No, I'm married now. I'm good on that front. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you get married, you realize that this huge weight is suddenly lifted on your shoulder. It's like, oh man, okay, that's sorted. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I caught that in the yeah. fact that, like you said, it's you know, it's, it's this terrifying, most important thing in the world when it's happening. But then you meet the random person who is the one. It's just like, yeah. what the fuck was I worried about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my case, it was a person that I'd been working with for like nine years before we ever even got together. We were just. We were just really good friends and, you know, I respected her as an illustrator and she, you know, did a bunch of illustrating for my movies and stuff. Cool. And nine years later, after that, we were just sitting closer to each other on the couch one night and now we're married and have a kid and all that stuff. <laughs> that kind of amazing. But it was also one of those situations where all of our friends around us, when we told them that we, we finally got together, they were just, they're like finally yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> even her parents they're just like finally jesus <laughs> had no idea you know it's just one of those things you know uh, yeah. it's good when it works out though yeah yeah it's worked out great so yeah and you want to talk about fears there's a whole new set of fears now when i'm a dad mm-hmm. well that uh that's a good segue into the adult years yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah while we're on that topic you want to hit that while we're on the topic yeah i mean Especially if you're if you're an artist, you can get pretty self-absorbed, and it's all about just like the work or, or you know the project or the next project or this or that, and then all of a sudden you have a kid, and once you hear that that kid's voice the first time when he comes out, it just completely rewires who you are. You know, it rewires your brain, it rewires rewires your body, and your priorities just completely shift, and it's not about you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked to a few people who like, uh, they say after they had kids, you know, they, they can watch the most gruesome torture porn horror ever. But as soon as you show a, a child in danger or a child being hurt, they're like, I can't watch this anymore. 
Can't do it. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's been, that's honestly been me uh, with, with violence and grisly stuff in general in movies. It, it, it all, it all hits me a lot harder since I've become a dad. Puts things in perspective. Stuff I, yeah, there's stuff I, I maybe would have been into when I was a younger man, but um, now that I'm a dad, I'm, I'm starting to become a bit of a pussy when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> For good reason. Yeah. 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 So as an adult, if you were to pick the top two or three things that you've been a fan of as an adult, uh, top, top two or three horror films, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the last thing. The, the last most suspenseful movie I saw actually was, was a, a Louis Mall movie called uh, Elevated to the Gallows. It's like one of the best suspense scenarios I've seen hmm. side of like Wages of Fear or Sorcerer. That uh, highly recommend Elevator to the Gallows. Recent years is is Big Bad Wolves recent enough? The Israeli film yes. Big Bad Wolves. Have you seen that? Oh, I think I have, but it's been a hot minute. That one and, and uh, uh, that movie. I saw the Devil. That was good. Seen the, the Korean film. I saw the Devil. Oh wait, no, I'm getting that one mixed up with another one with Devil. Highly Devil. recommend it. I mean, it's it's a serial killer movie, like on the level of like Silence of the Lambs or Seven or any of those I think it's the best one of those that's been made in recent years i highly recommend i saw the devil but but yeah i mean definitely give people a warning shot before you have to give people a warning shot for watching it because it is super fucking harsh <laughs> but uh but fantastic fantastic what'd you like about it? it taps into a lot of stuff that we we should be afraid of that person whose brain doesn't allow them to feel empathy and, and, and sympathy for other people and is just driven to do bad, to be reminded that those people actually are out there. There are people that just straight don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. You need to be on alert going out in this world. Yeah, I highly recommend I Saw the Devil, Big Bad Wolves. I'm trying to think of anything else that I've seen. I, you know, I really like Lee Wanell's Invisible Man movie. I thought that was a really, really smart Smart kind of update of something like Sleeping with the Enemy or something like that. Yeah. You had like these female-driven thrillers in the in the uh, '90s. I thought what he did with with Invisible Man was 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 really really sharp. Yeah, I was a fan of that one as well. Just yeah, yeah. The uh, the sound design in it was really and good. A great piece of entertainment. On top of all that, mm-hmm. I think Elizabeth Moss is brilliant. I just I just adore adore what she does as an actor. That one was probably my, probably even my favorite movie that year. I just thought that that movie just had like everything you need from a good movie. It had something to say, and it was also a great piece of entertainment. It had a lot of really cool cinematic ideas in it. That one made a big impression on me. That movie Nightcrawler also made a deep impression on me. I felt like that was kind of cut from the same cloth as movies, you know, like Taxi Driver and and and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. This is more about the evil of the just the unhinged person yeah. who has no uh, no empathy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all about the characters for me. You know, I think you can probably tell that from my movies too. That I'm really obsessed with mm-hmm. portraits of different types of people, and, and Nightcrawler paints a very very stark portrait of a very of a <laughs> sickness. It's so funny. I see uh, people, you know, in in joking, use uh, a gif or a meme of Jalen Hall from Nightcrawler, where he's pointing to the woman and is smiling, like "Ha ha, you!" Yeah. And they use that in like a, a sense where you know, congratulating someone, or, or like you know, in a, in a fun sense. And I'm like, if you knew what was happening in that I scene, oh, God. <laughs> it's where he's basically blackmailing her to have sex with him. I think it was. I know. I know that scene is so disturbing. So yeah. disturbing. such good writing. 
but uh, yeah, those, those are those are those are a handful of things that have made a pretty pretty deep impression on me. You mentioned Big Bad Wolves a few times. What what did you like about that one? It's just uh, again, <laughs> just, just, you know, it just it really really got under my skin. Just that that whole scenario uh, just really really got under my skin. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't watched it since I've become a parent, actually, which is probably probably bothered me even more. Probably, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember this one. Wait a minute. Uh, that's a that's a quote from Tarantino. I thought because I was going to say it's it's similar to Reservoir Dogs in that way too. You know, you got a, a crew of people that have to do a terrible thing as a result of a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Same reason I like like sympathy for Lady Vengeance and yeah, those those are the ones that I really really like those those stories that just have like more than one layer to them. They're not mm-hmm. just not just like a surface or a situational sort of a thing. That it's actually like really digging in places that make you uncomfortable, like mar- like Martyrs. Mm-hmm. That movie Martyrs, I think, digs around in some really interesting places. I don't mind stuff being super harsh and super dark, but again, I go back to working with Ketchum. It's just, you know, whenever we would write something super dark, like The Woman or, or some other things that we wrote together, the question always came up early in the process, why are we writing this? What are we trying to say? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. not that not that we're not that we're 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 you know writing you know message movies or, or stories that are supposed to be sending out like messages to tell people how to live or anything, but it's just like you have to define what the goal. Are we exposing what? Are, why are we digging around in this area? You have to define the goal. Yeah, and in the case of the, in something like the woman, it's very much a story about abuse mm-hmm. and people kind of live under the thumb of of somebody like Chris Cleek. Uh, who kind of controls their little world and, you know, what comes in, into it and what, what comes out of it and just how helpless you can feel, you know, and the, the woman herself is almost like this fairy tale creature that liberates them from that. That was a really, that was a really interesting subject to explore and also like really hard to work on for like two or three years. Cause it's so fucking bleak. <laughs> yeah. I bet it was it's really hard to be in that headspace for that time. And that's why we made all cheerleaders die after that. It was like, <laughs> that was the, all cheerleaders. die was the palate cleanser. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was like, I just want to make something fun with some old friends, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I had, I had another really harsh, another catch novella. I wanted to adapt after the woman. And I was just like, I just can't, I can't go there for another two years, you know, I can't, mm. can't go into that dark of a headspace. So yeah, I've kind of, kind of lightened up since then. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever make anything that quite that dark again. That was mm-hmm. a really emotionally draining experience to Understandable. With, with child abuse and rape. And, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's all, that's, that's really heavy stuff, man. It is. Yeah. And the heaviest part about it is the fact that it's not, you know, creatures or aliens or things from another planet. It's, um, it's people, this human yeah. beings. You hear it all the time. It's, oh, man is the most evil thing. But that, yeah. that story yeah. and film was just a, a really solid portrayal of how fucked up and evil human beings themselves can be. Yeah. And I, you know, and it, it also taps into like I grew up in a very rural kind of isolated environment. And, and mm-hmm. it can be every bit as scary as like the dingiest, scariest, like urban environment. There's no one to call. <laughs> you're out in the middle of nowhere you know that's that's really disturbing and also yeah. you know you can be shut off from the outside world i mean that's why people a lot of people that live in the country just they just don't have any concept of the outside world because their world is so small isolated yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it reminds me of like a comment that I heard about Texas Chainsaw once, which was that it was uh, one of the first films that flipped everything on its end, where it used to be thought that the country is a, a safe and simple place and you go into the city and that's where you're going to get mugged and killed. But Texas Chainsaw flipped it to where it's like, no, actually, you're probably more in, in more danger out in the country in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, bo- both environments are equally dangerous. But yeah, I mean, the country is no joke. Believe me. Yeah, it, it can get pretty freaky out there. Yeah. It's kind of funny. You mentioned, you know, Northern California. That's where the girl I was talking about was, was from. And having spent some time out there with her family and her neighbors and stuff like that, and coming to understand the differences between rural and urban mindsets, like you say, it, it when you're out there, there are a lot of people who want to have a gun because you have to protect yourself because oh, there's nobody out there. Guns. I grew up with guns all around me, man. Like everywhere right. you fucking look, there was, there was fucking guns. Mm. Right. And it's interesting that from my perspective, at least having had a foot on either side, part of the problem is that neither side really wants to look at what reality the other side is dealing with, yeah. or they don't believe it is clearly as, it really is. Yeah. And that's a whole other topic to get into. Yeah, it's so. a big topic, man. Yeah. <laughs> that is a whole other podcast, as I like to say. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask about the gallows. You mentioned that it was suspenseful. What else did you like? Ele- elevator to the gallows. Mm-hmm. Really, really mall movie. But I wouldn't want to ruin it for you. You'd really you'd really have to see it. It's it's Well, without talking about what happens, let's talk about what emotions it triggered in you. I've at this point, I'm 46 years old. I've seen so many damn movies, you know, it takes a lot for a movie to make a deep impression on me. And that movie just creates a suspense scenario that, that really, really gets you wound up. I don't have, I don't have visceral responses to movie as to movies as frequently as I did when I was young, when I was seeing all this great shit for the first time, like seeing Texas chainsaw for the first time or this or that. So Elevator to the Gallows was one of those, like, I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm sure you've, seen, you've probably seen the William Franken movie Sorcerer, but there's a, the, the movie, it's a remake of this French movie by Clouseau called The uh, Wages of Fear. It's just up until seeing Elevator to the Gallows, I thought, you know, you really can't come up with a better suspense scenario than a bunch of guys driving a truck full of nitroglycerin through the fucking, you know, like these like harrowing you know, mountain roads and stuff like that. Cause you're just, you know, you're just waiting for that thing to explode the whole time. An elevator to the gallows did that just with like a simple little suspense scenario between a few characters. And I just found that really, really impressive. Was that actually part of the film or is this an analogy you're using? Like, did they actually drive a truck full of nitroglycerin? That's what Wages of Fear is about. Yeah. And that's what Sorcerer is about. You know, they're, okay. they're driving nitroglycerin like the yeah highly recommend <laughs> very very genius suspense scenarios man hitchcock is known for being the suspense mm. guy but i i don't i don't think that you can top wages of fear for suspense for just a straight up suspense scenario because you're just constantly <laughs> waiting for the whole world to explode the whole time you're watching the movie literally yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about halloween as an adult uh, Halloween's fun as an adult again now that I have a kid, you know, right. and my 
my kid is really into, you know, and, and, and not that I've made a lot of horror movies and stuff, but it's like, if you come to my house, it's like, I'm just kind of like a normal, like nerdy film dude. It's like, it's not like, <laughs> like it's not like we have like skulls and, 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 and ravens and shit, you know, no, like, no fangory. Pretty, pretty normal actually. You know, my wife's a painter and I, you know, I have like a movie collection. That's about it. Mm. But our son just like really kind of latched on to a nightmare before Christmas and, going to spirit Halloween. And just like, ever since he was really, and, and you know, he saw Xenomorph from alien. He saw a picture of one of those and became obsessed with those. He just loves monsters. And, and, and I mean, how can you not? The thing has a mouth within a mouth. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 He's all about it. Um, he hasn't seen the movies or anything like that, but he, he loves the characters and he loves the designs and he loves to draw, draw them and stuff like that. But, uh, he's really into Halloween. So, that's been really fun. You know, it's like your kid wants to dress up like a mummy. I mean, like, yeah, you're going to make that happen. And <laughs> we're going to need more toilet paper. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, my wife is a brilliant artist, so she can make anything. Right. She made him a hell of a mummy costume. Um, and uh, yeah, that's so, so it's all fun. Just like seeing it through the, the eyes of a kid and, and also living in a more kind of suburban environment now where my kid actually can go trick or treating and stuff like that. So. That's been pretty fun. Um, th- that's that's the most fun thing about Halloween now is just seeing it through the eyes of a kid, just who mm. it's designed for, I think. Right. And I'm guessing now that you've gotten into the industry, of course, there's probably more of the social element in terms of having other people that you can talk to about this kind of stuff and relate to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I talk to my wife all the time. Do you realize how lucky we are? How many just great, cool people that we know, you know, it was like, I finished writing my script. And before I knew it, I realized I had sent it out to like 10 different, 10 or 12 different people to just get eyes on it. And, and, and I was going down the list and I was like, this isn't just like people, I'm not trying to like make moves or anything like this. These are just people that I love. (laughs) I mean, that, that do this stuff that just to have that many people in your life that you, that you love and that, and that share, share a passion for, for the kind of thing, kind of things you're into. Um, we're very, very fortunate. We're very rich in that regard. Right. Um, anything scary in real life happen as an adult, as an adult, I think of the last scary. Well, you know, I mean, we live in El Paso, Texas. Well, yeah. <laughs> Aside from the obvious. Yeah. The, the Walmart shooting was very, very terrifying to be in this town when that happened. I was actually helping out with the, one of the local film festivals and had been at that, <laughs> at, you know, at, at that shopping complex just a few days before that. And just that kind of stuff is happening just, just, just five miles, miles away. away. Yeah. Very, very disturbing, you know, and then a guy just drove all the way across the state to kill a bunch of helpless people on back to school weekend when people are just shopping to buy their kids stuff to go back to school. I mean, that's just horrifying you know and 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 the fact that that stuff continues to happen and 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 nothing nothing at all is being done about it is uh i'd say that's probably the most horrifying thing going on understandably in my adult life yeah. it makes you feel really helpless and and, and it, it it makes you really really nervous as a parent so yeah real horror out, outside the door mm. Um, other than the one that you mentioned about the skipping, um, any recurring dreams as an adult? I don't, you know, I I don't know what changed, uh, but but for the last few years, I don't I don't really have nightmares like I used to. I don't know what that is. What? Good. I haven't had any really really 
scary or you know even recurring disturbing dreams um i think when i'm if i get really really stressed out i i've learned how to kind of put my stress in a place and the types of things i stress out about i kind of figured out how to compartmentalize that stuff a lot better as i've gotten older so i think that helps it does stress stress leads to a lot of nightmares mm-hmm. yep and uh, i have said so the the answer to that is just like take care of your shit <laughs> <laughs> like if if you if something's bothering you like attack it head on and get it out of your way hmm. i mean that's what dreams are in a way they're the subconscious telling you hey hey you got shit to take care of do it. Work it out yeah yeah exactly yeah. so i've tried to get better about dealing with stuff like that on the emotional side or just like daily life stuff yeah if that thing is bothering you all the time just take the day and get it done Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just don't hold things in. I think yeah. the more yeah, you hold stuff, the more nightmares you're liable to have. I have often said on this uh, podcast that for me, you know, people say that we are oh, crap. What's the phrase? <laughs> uh, we are pattern pattern finding machines, but I also like to say that we are motion processing machines. Yeah. And so when you said that you've learned how to handle your stress, I, I just kind of laughed and nodded my head and I was like, yeah, there's the key. You know, if you've got your emotions, you've got your stuff. If you've got your shit handled, yeah. Then, yeah. then you don't have the emotions to process. So yeah. Yeah. It takes care of itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not an exact science and there's still stuff that, you know, festers and all that kind of stuff, but, Mm-hmm. But yeah, you get, you get, you kind of start to give less fucks the older you get too. Mm-hmm. So it gets easier to deal with things. Yeah. So the last five to 10 questions here uh, now are covering your entire life and it's not just related to horror. Uh, I'm going to give you the first two questions at the same time. Cause it could be the same answer for both, or it could be two different answers. Uh, the, the two questions are, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other? What is my favorite? Favorite movie, my favorite one single movie. You're actually asking me that. <laughs> I'm looking at like I'm looking at like two thousand movies on my on my shelves right now. Um, Psych- psychologically speaking, usually the first that comes to mind, there's a reason for it. Uh, Sling Blade. Why? Because Billy Bob Thornton. That's why. Duh. No. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, that's. I mean, that's the first. It's usually the first one of the first ones that comes to mind. Um, I know, and you know, there's hundreds of movies that are my favorite movie, but Sling Blade just. I don't know, man. It just hits so many sweet spots for me. I mean, it's like a modern fairy tale. It's like a. It feels almost like a. You know, one of my favorite authors is uh, John Steinbeck. Feels like a lost John, John Steinbeck novella. It. Uh, it's very much takes place in an environment that very close to the kind of environment I grew up in and, and dead on with the kind of environment that my dad's side of the family grew up in and, and, and still lives in, in Oklahoma. Sling Blade takes place in Arkansas, but it's like right there. Mm, right. Uh, and it's kind of like that same kind of slow way of life. And, and the, the thing that I love about Sling Blade is that it's, Yes, there's a very dark, you know, there's dark stuff going on in there. But the the thing that's so wonderful about that movie is just the, just people being kind to each other, you know, like the the kindness on display in that film, the kindness that the family shows towards Carl and and the the respect and kindness that he shows back to the boy and his mother and, and, uh, you know, his whole reason for doing what he does at the end of the film, which feels kind of inevitable considering the way the film is set up. I mean, it is just a perfect, 
perfect, perfect film. And it wrecks me every time I watch it. It just, it just pushes buttons. It just pushes, it just pushes very, very specific kind of buttons. If you grew up in a rural environment, mm-hmm. that, that, that movie means, means, means a tremendous amount to me. Okay. Just one of those, you know, it's like, it's like if you're a little kid and you want to be a basketball player and you watch Michael Jordan or magic Johnson or Isaiah Thomas play, if you're from my era, it's like you watch them play and, at halftime, you go out and you you shoot hoops. You know what I mean? It just like fires you up. Sling, Sling Blade is is one of those movies that just like fires me up to do what I do. Okay. And what movie have you watched more times than any other? It have to be it have to be Star Wars. I'm a total Star Wars nerd. Hmm. Yeah, one? <laughs> There's like nine of them. Those nine, first, the first the first six the the George Lucas ones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I watch those movies a ridiculous amount. I, I just I just. I love what they represent, not just, I mean, I, I love the story and the mythological qualities and all that kind of stuff uh, and the world building and all that. But I also, I'm just obsessed with what those movies have gifted the form. And I think that all of the evolution of, of going from 20th century filmmaking to 21st century filmmaking is represented by those movies. They're like a massive R&D project. That, that, that Industrial Light and Magic documentary that's out right now that Disney just put up is well worth a look because it kind of shows how those guys took, took everything from analog to digital over the course of you know, many, many decades and just gave us all these tools that we have now, especially for an independent filmmaker or just vital. You know? like there's so many things that you know, it would have been a, filmmaking was a much more exclusive club before George Lucas came on the scene. And, and uh, yeah. I think he's one of the most important figures in cinema history um for what he has brought just on just on the technology just on the technology side right i think a good analogy here is star trek has inspired scientists in a lot of those ways that ilm has inspired filmmakers yeah exactly and it's so it's so wonderful now you know you know what it was like growing up being a kid and reading starlog and fangoria and, and any magazine you could get your hands on it's it's just cool to see guys like phil tippett and and dennis murin and ken ralston and uh, ben burt and, and just all of these filmmakers that facilitated the dreams of like lucas and spielberg and stuff like that but were actually the guys that like figured all the shit out it's it's uh it's cool to see those guys starting to get celebrated more and more mm-hmm. phil St- phil tippett is like such an important figure was such an important figure to me inspirationally growing up and Dennis Murin and, you know, all those guys, you know, Ben Burt, what what, what all those guys did, what they gifted us with is just the best. So, so I think think Star Wars represents a lot of that. Coming back to horror for one second, if you were to look at all the things that we've talked about in this film or, or even in this uh, podcast, or even some of the ones that we haven't talked about, do you see any common threads about what kinds of horror you like in terms of subgenres? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical? No, I've never really I've never really thought too deeply about that. Like I you know, like I said, with, with movies in general, and it's not just it's not exclusive to horror, but I mean if you have if you have a great character, I'm in. Like I don't really care about plot and, and situational stuff and all that kind of stuff. I think if you have a fascinating character, I mean that's why I love Carrie. It's why I love Cujo. It's why I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's why, you know, and Chainsaw 2, the characters in those movies. 
they make such a deep impression on you. For me, it's it's just all about characters. It's all it's all about I, filmmaking in a way is like portrait painting, and I think that the best filmmakers paint really, really amazing portraits of different types of people. That that kind of ties in with where I thought you were going to go. I the wording I was thinking of using was reality. Yeah, you know, reality based stuff. Not necessarily. I mean, I like I like maybe not reality, but realistic in the sense of. Uh, a character is put into a situation and they react in a way that's a believable response to the situation. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, you know, you can have a complete shit plot and, and story, but if the character, the protagonist that you're identifying with is at least good, then you can identify with them and it's an enjoyable yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and stuff that's actually trying to say something or, sh- or display something. I think that's important to me as well. I'm not really into nostalgia-driven stuff. I'm not really into stuff that's just all about the surface. Um, I like I like stuff that actually is attempting to show you something or say something about something. But right. but on you know but on the flip side of that, I don't like anything that's trying to like shove a message down my throat. You know, so it's it's a it's a it's a tough balance. So before I ask the next couple questions, first let me give you kind of a summary of the, the things that I've been picking up on in this interview. Yeah. And then we'll talk about whether or not I'm accurate or not. And yeah. Steve's just been making a little so. psychological profile. We're going to send it to the NSA. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on the, on the negative side, uh, evils from within sociopaths, uh, unhinged people, portraits of, of these kinds of people, modern fairy tales that, highlight these kinds of people. And then on the positive side, honesty, kindness, respect, maybe a little bit of grief in dealing with the inevitability of things that have to be done. I really like what you just said a minute ago about not shoving things down your throat, because one of the other things that I noted was I said kindness, but kindness is not exceptionally moralizing. You know, it's, there's a difference between telling somebody you need to do X, Y, and Z literally and it's it's not necessarily as harsh to just say it's not that hard to be kind yeah you know what i mean oh my god I have conversations this is one of the main topics of conversation <laughs> especially working in the in in the movie business you know and in, i mean any type of business there's very very toxic individuals but um mm. But it's it's so much easier to just be a nice person, you right? know. It takes less effort to not be a dick. You no, know, like, and there's just some miserable fucking people out there that they don't understand. I've worked with a lot of people like this, so they just don't understand that. I've had a lot of people kind of accuse me of being full of shit because, like, you know, when I'm when I'm directing, I'm like really happy and really excited and really jazzed about what I'm doing. Yeah, I think you're fake. It's gotta, it's gotta be fake. No one is ever that happy intentionally. <laughs> yeah, but you, you you know you come across people, actors or or people that have kind of been in the business a long time and have been to great heights and and they're very very jaded. They don't understand. I don't know. They think you're being fake if you're being excited about stuff, you know, and there is a lot of people that are like fake excited about things in Hollywood and are really just out to, to move themselves up a ladder or whatever, you know, but when you remove competitiveness and you remove, when you remove competition from the equation, you remove ego from the equation and you, you realize that you're working, that you're very, very privileged to be working in this beautiful collaborative art, you know, and it's not all about you. Mm you can get to some really good places creatively mm-hmm. when you, you leave yourself open. 
and and a, and a lot of that just starts with just being just being a good kind person <laughs> you know? right. it's not that hard folks it's not that hard yeah yeah looking back on life do you think there can you pinpoint a particular reason why that might be important to you i know what it feels like to be treated like shit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, I don't, and, and, and I don't want to put that on anybody. And man, I, you know, I've, I've lost my temper on, you know, making movies and, and, and I've, especially growing up, cause I started, you know, making features at a pretty young age. I think I was 25 or 26 when I made May. It's pretty young and, you know, very emotional and you get inside your own head and you, you know, you think everybody's out to get you. And, you know, the older you get, you start to realize that you can't control anything you know you can guide things and you can nudge things and you can make suggestions and you can be a spark plug but you also have to you also have to uh just be really open with the people around you because the more you try to control people the more they kind of shut down creatively Mm. and that's bad news yeah having narrowed in on this is a topic of something that's important to you uh, one of the last questions here is why horror because you know, if kindness and respect and and potential danger uh, are things that you like to focus on, are there any other genres that can touch on these things? What what is what what is it about horror specifically? Uh, you you can see people's true colors when you put them in a very harrowing situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Removes the filter. Yeah, yeah, it removes removes all the filters. You know, and I mean on a daily basis, all we are all trying to do is survive, (laughs) you know, get to the next day, you know, make, make the moves that make it to where you can get to the next day, you know? So horror just makes that, makes that very immediate. And I I also, you know, I also just think that film is about exposing things and it's about what's going on inside our heads and what's going on in the world. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's specific. I don't think that's specific to horror films, but I just think it's all films, you know? Right. Cause all the, all the older filmmakers are, are kind of poo pooing the Marvel movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I understand their perspective and I understand what they're saying, but I think Paul Verhoeven put it best is that he said that those Marvel movies, the, his problem with the Marvel movies is that they're not reflecting us. They're just kind of creating these kind of ridiculous kind of hero characters that creates a lot of eye candy and a lot of visual effects and a lot of stuff, but there's no, there's no deeper meaning underneath all that stuff that's reflecting who we are as a society. And there's just something disturbing about that. You know, it's funny that you say that because I, one of the things that I've had a disagreement with, with some of the Marvel movies, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because on one hand, I see that they're taking things out. I'm going to say this. I'll give you an example. Iron Man in the comics yeah. is, is known for being an alcoholic yeah. and struggling with alcoholism. Yeah. And, and when I, when I heard that they were casting Robert Downey Jr. in that role, I, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Not because of what he does has done as an actor, but because I knew what he had struggled with. Yeah, in his personal life. Exercise some demons and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they yeah, don't even put that in the movie, Yeah, but then they don't even put that in the movie. Yeah. And I can understand it's why they too, didn't it's because real and it's too heavy. And it, yeah. it, 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 right. It, you know, they lose money. You know, uh, if, if they if they attack something that's actually like a serious human issue or problem. And on the flip side of that, if you do put it into the movie, there's so many people that will also fight about it because 
like for example, the whole thing with I think uh, the you know the Miss Marvel teenage uh, the girl I think she's Muslim yeah if I remember correctly you know and then there are people mad about that like you you can't win mm-hmm. I know so I know where when you think about it if they were to put uh, Tony Stark in there as an alcoholic and he somehow overcame his alcoholism and became a hero anyway maybe that's a little inspiring for people to you know conquer their alcoholism but yeah no, no we we can't do that yeah 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 they're always staying in a state safe zone and it makes the stuff just really homogenized and just dull but the funny thing is that if you go back to the original source oh man yeah, well that's why i love those comics when i was a kid i mean like there's this yeah. one issue of hulk that i think about all the time about this about Bruce's abusive father and stuff like that, that just like made such a deep impression on me, you know, and it was so like visceral and scary. And, you know, this is a comic book. Yeah. Really. I still think about that, that comic, you know, I still think about the impression that that made on me at a young age, you know, and that was, that's what was special about the Marvel stuff when we were kids was that they would get into Spider-Man's buddy fucking <laughs> wigged out on angel dust and jumped off. Of the <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. holy shit or Wolverine or, you know, the Punisher, or, you know, the stuff that they were dealing with in those, in those books was very, very serious stuff. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff just gets kind of glossed over now. And it's, yeah. it's unfortunate. I, you know, I, I think that if, if the superhero thing is going to continue to have legs, they're going to have to start, they're going to have to start telling more human human and relatable stories right it seems like the gas is starting to go out of it a little bit already mm-hmm. well i i know what you're i think i know what you're referring to i think part of that is you know in this phase they are starting to introduce characters that are less than maybe 20 years old in in the comics like for example i got out of comics in like 96 yeah. and so any of the any of the newer characters uh, yeah. i i wouldn't have any relation to so they're, they're going to lose potentially some of the audience there, but I also understand if they're trying to set up future phases, they kind of also have to introduce them now to, to introduce them. So yeah. Would, yeah. Yeah. I can't keep up with all the stuff those guys are doing. Yeah. Well, last question. Uh, is there anything that you've thought of that might be relevant that hasn't come up on this call? Mm, not really. I mean, I, I got this, I got to send out my little message about just be a, be a <laughs> nice person. That, that's about right. It's, pretty much the most important thing (laughs) be a nice open person and listen to other people you know and (laughs) realize that it's not all about you i think that's that's really the message that i would like to send today because i not a bad one opposite of that quite often with people so Mm. well thank you very much for your time it's been a pleasure talking to you yeah Yeah. it's good talking to you guys Thank you to anybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. We've got a list there of people we'd like to talk to. Uh, if you'd like to have somebody added to the list, let us know. If you can help us get in touch with anybody on the list, let us know. Tell a friend. Let people know that you like what we're doing. Horrormakesushappy.com. 